Have you ever thought about coastal environments as parks? When we think about public green, our mind sometimes goes directly towards a traditional green park or an urban forest. But beaches and wetlands and other forms of waterways are just as important. Today, we are discussing coastal environments. You guessed it. <laughs> Why they are incredibly crucial for our park systems and how park professionals from around the world are managing them and attempting to restore them. As always, we are joined by a fantastic group of people who are doing an incredible job at incorporating coastal environments back into cities and back into the lives of the communities that they inhabit. I'm Alice Landon, and this is Pod Parks. Pod Parks, the podcast for the park minded, brought to you by World Urban Parks. Coastal environments, what a great place to live in. <laughs> our cities, our communities around the world are built around water. Whether that be lakes, rivers, oceans, we, we need water to exist. We need water for our lives. And this means that almost 40% of the global population lives in or near coasts. But when we think about our urban outdoors environments, we tend to gravitate towards traditional parks, towards grass and trees, and not as much towards the ocean, towards coasts, towards beaches. So today we're going to talk about coasts, about what they are, why they matter, and how we are making a difference. And to start us off, I want to establish some basics. What is a coastal environment? Why is it important to talk about coastal environments. So coastal ecosystems lie at the intersection of ocean and land. And they can look and behave in very different ways, whether they are sandy beaches where waves deposit sand and sediments over and over and over again, or salt marshes, which are wetlands where shrubs and grasses fill with incoming tides, and then release them slowly into the ground. Or mangrove forests, where superficial roots dominate their environments and fish swim between them freely. Coastal ecosystems are diverse and also extremely important for the well-being of the ocean, but they're also very, very important for the well-being of land. They are both a biodiversity and productivity hotspot, which means that they're both important for commercial processes like fishing, like tourism, and also for regulating our environment, whether that be by reducing floods, by absorbing carbon dioxide, by regulating decomposition. And of course, on top of all of these services or jobs that the coast has, there's a recreational value to coasts, which is physical and also emotional and spiritual and cultural. So yes, coasts are tough environments to manage. Now, unfortunately, as coastal cities grow, they can become detached from their environmental surroundings. 
cities can alienate themselves from their shorelines and this can cause many problems for their coast. So for example, coastal development and urban growth and expansion puts pressure on existing ecosystems. It transforms natural areas into buildings and complexes and it disturbs wetlands and buffer zones in a phenomenon that is called a coastal squeeze. Now we've all seen this phenomenon around the world, right? So as coastal cities grow, development pushes a shoreline further and further and further out. And what was once a wetland or an area that would flood with high tides and regulate the sea level before it touched the city is now an urban development or a complex that will will inevitably also flood, but it will take important infrastructure and maybe livelihoods along with it. Coastal environments are also under heavy stress because of pollution. Pollution that can come from sewage or runoff or plastics. They are also being threatened by climate change, which is changing the conditions of oceans and shorelines around the world. It's increasing sea level. It is warming some oceans and cooling some others. It is changing the composition of water itself. All of this to say coastal environments matter. And park professionals from around the world are starting to notice. The coast, the ocean, um, the land near it is precious and needs to be safeguarded and protected. And yes, oftentimes it is parkland. Um, it's used for recreation. It's part of nature. It's part of our environment. And so we have to be intentional in how we use that space. We want to be first and foremost um, caretakers to that land. We want to recognize that with climate action changes, um, you know, there's rising sea tides, there's diminished uh, sea populations in areas. So we have to be intentional on the things that we plan and how we use that land. So. This is A.P. Diaz, Superintendent of Seattle Parks and Recreation. In that particular instance, along the coast, uh, you want to be looking at it in terms of conservation and preservation, uh, but also allowing people to access the coast. And I'm always amazed in even a city like Los Angeles or Seattle, um, there are people in the inner parts of those uh, areas that have never been to the ocean. Wow. Um, or maybe their first experience is through a recreation and park summer program. Um, so even living around water, uh, we have to remember, and this goes to ac- access and equity, if there's not transportation, if there's not um, a sense of feeling welcomed or that you can come as you are, I think a lot of people are intimidated of going to areas that they're not familiar with. And that sometimes can be the coast. Um, It's an environment that people aren't familiar with. And so it's our job to educate and to welcome people um, and then to teach them how to take care of those areas. Coasts belong to everyone. And as AP mentions, coastal environments are very important, but also very difficult parts of the park management systems. They are both crucial to the resilience of a city and very vulnerable to human intervention. So I love that he stresses the importance of generating this place of being or a sense of community and belonging that allows people to take care of their coastal parks. And so what happens when most of your city is coastline? How do you ensure that coasts are 
both protected but also accessible? And how do you promote environmental regeneration that will make your city more resilient and will allow it to adapt to a changing climate? Really, our biggest park in Adelaide is the coast. And Adelaide people love the coast. Uh, I love the coast, so stop me if I start raving on too much. Um, I, um, I mean, our coastline, uh, I'll give a round figure, that what we're looking, um, looking at is um, 100 kilometres of coastline, but then we work with our neighbouring boards. We have a relationship with our boards to help them to work on their coastlines as well. This is Brendan Greer, Director of Green Adelaide at the Department for Environment and Water in Adelaide, Australia. One of Green Adelaide's key visions is to make Adelaide a more resilient city and region. And many of its efforts go into regenerating and protecting their local coasts. And that coastline ranges from Samphire Flats, mangroves in the north, to sandy beaches through probably the central part of uh, Adelaide. Then we have rocky headline, uh, headlands, we have um, near shore reefy um, systems and we have cliffs. So, um, you know, we do have some um, pretty amazing coastline and people from Adelaide yet go to the beach all the time. Um, we, it's a pretty low energy coastline because we're in a gulf. Um, we, we certainly have some big storms, but often it's it's relatively flat. Um, except down the southern end, um, a bit of swirl comes through, so there's a bit more energy down there. Uh, and we have uh, an issue of longitudinal drift. Adelaide has so much coastline and so much sand, which, as we know, with great coasts comes great responsibility. Um, so... One of our big issues, if I start to look how we manage it, is um, that longshore drift moves sand from south to north. We've urbanised lots of our, if not our primary dunes, our secondary dunes and so on. Big mistake, yeah. but it's done. Um, so one of the Adelaide, uh, Green Adelaide doesn't actually really have a lot of um, input into the technological side of this but we do help fund sand pumping oh so yeah so adelaide um and and we're not the only city that does it but we take sand from the north where where the sand drifts and replaces it back in the south and the whole process starts again and if we didn't do that our sandy beaches in the south uh would be uh, just rocky rocky reefs um and that's because the bank of sand that was there and naturally has been built on and urbanized and it's not there. So that's, that's sort of one of the programs. Brendan touches on something that I think is very important to highlight, which is the difficulty of protecting and restoring natural environments that have been disrupted by just irreversible human impact. I think it's very important to reconcile the environmental processes that occur in coastal environments with the human environment that also happens around it. You know, the environmental and the cultural and the social and the human are things that are intrinsically linked. And I think Adelaide is doing a great job and a great effort in acknowledging this duality. But it, it is difficult. Um, our main role is the, 
the ecological restoration side of, of beaches and dune management. Uh, and we do a lot of work around that. And, and uh, our team uses, again, iconic species. So the hooded um, plover, um, a little bird, amazing little bird that um, has a, a tenuous grip on life and the way it's, it's breeding habits and uh, nesting habits. But um, we, it's a really important species and there's red cap plovers and there's a whole lot of other things, but that really, um, um, the community just get behind that program to protect those birds when they're nesting particularly, and also to create better habitat back up in the dunes. So that's one, you know, a way to bring the community along. And that's as simple as, you know, keep your dogs on a lead on the beach. Um, uh, yeah, don't don't drive cars on the beach. We um, we still have a, f a couple of beaches where cars are able to drive. Yeah, it's it's not much, and uh, and it's not ideal. It's almost a cultural thing uh, on some of our southern sandy beaches to do that. But yeah, put a car on a beach and have a little nesting bird on it. It's uh, they don't go together very well. Um, anyway, that's managed. Another example is in the northern areas, which are. Um, our sapphire flats near mangroves but we have tussock tussock grasslands are part of that as well uh, our team working again with schools and local government uh, have brought back um, the vegetation that can um, creates the habitat for a, a butterfly that almost disappeared the yellowish sedge skipper don't you love the names of butterflies they have uh, really uh, interesting names very descriptive um <laughs> anyway uh, and that's been such a success um to bring back this this plant uh, uh i think it's garnia phylum uh, uh and so yeah the community's got really on board with that and uh, just one other example um i guess it's citizen science um you know reef watch monitoring and so on um getting community involved you know especially those who like diving and so on um, to get involved and collect data on the health of our reefs and uh, and so yeah we, we lead programs we encourage we create technical resources we provide grant money uh, and we always as I said I, I know I probably say it too often but we always working with local government to uh, do these things. A common element that I want to highlight in these different actions in these different cities is the importance that they place in engaging communities in these coastal conservation efforts. So as both Abby and Brenton mentioned, coastal restoration can bring communities together, which is really crucial to ensure that people take pride and take ownership in, in all of these projects, and in doing so, that they create a habit out of protecting and stewarding their coasts. We have seven legislated priorities, okay, so which is quite odd um, to have uh, these things, um, but one of those is a priority of nature education, and so we actually do put a lot of resources into um, particularly school schools, but now we're actually branching out to yeah you know the whole um, age um, all ages um, from all places uh, just uh, educating providing resources to make people aware educate and uh, yeah ultimately to create action um, so that's one of our priorities. Education and cultural connection is, in my opinion, such an important element of action. It allows people to connect with their environments on a deeper level and to become champions of their surroundings, not because it's the law or not because it's a social norm, but because they believe in the importance 
of their coasts and their parks. So I would like to make a small petition to park managers and environmental practitioners from around the world to always, always remember to bring in and invite and welcome people into these environmental regeneration efforts, whether they be in coasts or inland in a park. As both Brenton and AP have shown us, inclusive efforts are they're more lasting and they can have a ripple effect in conservation efforts across cities and across regions as a whole. And if you are not a park manager, if you're a park user, well, first of all, welcome to the Coastal Park Fan Club. We are so excited that you're joining us. And I would love to continue the conversation as to how we as park users can really take lead in protecting our coastal communities through our involvement, through our action, through our knowledge, and through our everyday care. I firmly believe that park advocates walk among us every single day, um, even if they don't have official park titles. And what I mean by that is that my work with the community is to find and understand what is your love language. So your love language could be the coast, the ocean, animals, sea life, aquariums. Another person's love language might be um, foresting, gardening, um, horticultural activities. Another person's love language or passion might be recreation, sports, fitness. Another person's uh, love language might be conservation, um, preservation of the land. Um, another person's might be transportation and biking or running through parks and having access to trails. So all of us, whether we think about it or not, probably have some love language that is tied back to our park system. And it's important for us to tap into each one of those passions and desires so that we can get people to uh, invest in those areas. And when you start doing that, it's like building, you know, it's a fabric that comes together of building this sort of quilt, this multi-layer, multi-faceted um, park system that can speak to a little bit of something for everyone. Because again, someone's joy in the weekend might be here in Monterrey, getting up into Chipinque and away from nature and hiking, whereas someone else's you know, Saturday joy is meeting some friends to play tennis in a, in a public park. Um, both very valuable experiences, different, but also at the end of the day, those individuals, um, their health and wellness has improved. They're going to bed a little bit healthier. And I think it's important that we honor all those voices. A lot to think about. This is the end of today's episode, but never, ever, ever the end of the conversation. I think it's just getting started and I need more input and I need more feedback. So I would love to continue this offline or in another episode. And I want to point out that much of today's chat was set in Adelaide, Australia, which, you know, after my conversation with Brenton, I cannot wait to visit and Thankfully for us park enthusiasts, we have the best excuse to discover Adelaide's coast. 
in a little bit less than a month, so from October 22nd to October 25th, this year's World Urban Parks Congress will take place in none other than Adelaide, Australia. So I will be there, I hope to see you there, and I hope that we can take a moment to chat about parks and coasts and absolutely everything in between. And if you can't make it, first subscribe to our podcast so I can tell you all about it when I get back and become a member at World Urban Parks to access all of the material from the Congress. We'll be uploading videos, PowerPoints, panels to our digital library right after the Congress, so don't miss that. Visit worldurbanparks.org to become a member today. And before we leave, I would love to invite you to visit your nearest beach, your nearest coastline, And if you're landlocked, maybe your nearest river or your nearest lake. And take it all in. Maybe you'll find a new favorite park. Pod Parks is written and hosted by Alice Landon. Produced by Vittorio Martin and Luis Romano. Sound engineering by Vladimir Yandis. Don't forget to visit worldurbanparks.org and explore the resources our community has for you. Get out. Explore. Connect.